Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Election Day is just a few weeks away, which means the work for county clerks is at an apex right now. We're going to talk with two of them, the clerks of Oakland and Ottawa counties, about what they're confident about and what they're maybe worried about as we get closer to Michiganders casting votes. Also want to hear from you about how you're feeling about the upcoming elections. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The work of local political officials has gotten a lot harder in recent years. During the height of the pandemic, county health officials specifically were tasked with doing more as the federal resources they needed hadn't been deployed or even developed in some cases. And that's why many of them were also being harassed or threatened for simply doing their jobs. As of late, the county clerks have found themselves in a somewhat similar position. They are the first line of defense in our democracy. They ensure that votes are counted accurately, and they're tasked with calling out foul play when it occurs. As our democracy quakes, they have had to do more to recruit honest poll workers and earn the trust of the general public. And they have also received threats from the public for doing their jobs. In February of this year, Michigan's county clerks wrote an open letter to state leaders requesting more support for their work. They asked for more transparency in allowing the public to see pre- and post-voting process and wanted a more, quote, functional structure to promote early voting. And that's only been part of the problem for clerks. They have also had to deal with a lot of far-right Republicans who believe the 2020 election was stolen and are applying to become poll workers in an effort to disrupt the upcoming elections. Encouraged and stoked by right-wing media specialist Steve Bannon, a lot of them across the country and in the state have been trying to work the polls essentially to mess with the election. Later in the hour, we're going to talk about the upcoming Civility Day project at uh, Oakland University and ways we should really be caring about the people we disagree with, trying to reach out to them to find, I don't know, just a little bit of common ground. But right now, we want to talk about election safety and election process, the problems county clerks are running into and the solutions they are coming up with. We've got two really great clerks with us to discuss this. Lisa Brown is a Democrat, and she is the clerk of Oakland County. Lisa, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Happy to be here. Yes. And Justin Roebuck is a Republican, and he is the clerk of Ottawa County. Justin, welcome back to Detroit Today. Yeah, great. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Okay, so Justin, I'm going to start with you. In February, you and a bunch of other clerks were concerned that the county clerks just don't have enough support. You said the clerks needed more time to pre-process absentee ballots and have them ready for tabulation on Election Day, and that more money is needed to pay for things like postage and Dropbox security and to pay election workers. All right, so we're about six or seven months later, and we're coming up on another election. Are all of those things still in the need category, or are some of them in the fulfilled category? Well, that's a great question. I think, you know, we continue to advocate for funding um, and for the important, uh, you know, necessary functions of our roles, both as county and local clerks. And I think, uh, you know, the legislature obviously uh, did pass, and the governor signed this pre-process pre-processing legislation, which essentially allows two additional days 
uh, to do a lot of the functional workflow aspects, not actually tabulating absentee ballots, but we are able to uh, you know, do a, a number of verification steps in the process, which include open opening the ballot, you know, verifying the voter's signature and verifying the uh, ballot number contained on the envelope and so forth. Um, and that is, you know, primarily across the state of Michigan, a, a function of local clerks, although uh, certainly uh, local municipal governments can contract with the county for that service as well. So I would say, you know, and, and I know Clerk Brown, I'm sure as Oakland is a significant player in this as well, um, I'm sure she can speak to this as well. But I, I think it has, uh, it's a step in the right direction. That pre-processing thing, mm -hmm. the, the pre-processing piece is a step in the right direction. It's giving us a little bit of what we need. Um, but I think it is important to recognize that states that have expansive um, absentee voting uh, laws on the books also have a significant number of days that allow for the transparent and, um, you know, bipartisan counting of those ballots. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lisa Brown, you're the clerk of the second largest county here uh, in Michigan. I want to give you a chance to talk about some of the needs that uh, that you have uh, in terms of more support from the state, but also uh, get into this uh, pre-processing of absentee ballots and explain maybe a little more even for people who aren't quite sure what that means. There's some controversy about how absentee ballots uh, get con that get counted. And, and some of it is about just lack of information, I think, about, about what that actually looks like. Sure. Well, um, first of all, the, the legislation that, that was signed into law um, limits actually who can do pre-processing. So it's only for municipalities that have a population of at least 10,000. And it does not apply to, as Justin said, local clerks can can contract with their county clerk. We do that in Oakland County in November. We'll be tabulating for 18 of our communities, their absentee ballots. But the legislation does not allow a combined um, absentee voting counting board to pre-process. So we may be the largest counting board in the state, and we don't have that tool in our toolbox. And then our smaller communities don't have that tool in their toolbox. So, you know, it, it, it could have been a lot better <laughs> um, to give every clerk uh, the same opportunity. But, you know, I'm not even sure that we would take a, um, that we would take advantage of that in Oakland County if we had um, that available to us, because there are extra steps that have to be taken. There's a lot of counting of the envelopes before and after. And um, I, I don't think it would be worth it for us um, in our combined board to be doing it. I know there's some large municipalities that are saying the same thing. It's mm -hmm. not going to be worth it for them to, to do it. Um, but, you know, regardless if, if a community um, is pre-processing or not, not a single ballot will be tabulated before the polls open on election day. And talk about the difference, counting and tabulating. I mean, that's where some of this, I think, gets gets confusing for right. folks. Right, well, tabulating. I mean, they're, they're the same, really. So it's, you know, not a ballot will be going through a tabulator, not a ballot, right? So the pre-processing, it, it's still in the privacy sleeve. I mean, it's, it's very, the, the very first step. Um, of, of uh, you know, that we take in, in being able to count the absentee ballots, but they're not even being taken out of their privacy sleeve. So they're not being unfolded. They're still folded up. I mean, so it's, it's uh, you know, just like the very beginning process that right. we have right. when, when, when we will tabulate absentee well, ballots. Well, and, and really what it does, uh, I think the most practical effect of it is is quicker counting after the election's over right i mean it it, it makes it, it makes it more likely that we get results faster uh, and that also i think is is something that uh, that that voters are really really interested in um justin i want to go back to you and and talk about some of the other things that uh, that are going on uh, election security is a, a big deal and is on a lot of people's minds as we're getting close to november 8th uh, what are the things that that you're hopeful about for election day and think that uh, will go smoothly and what what kind of things do you maybe have some concerns about yeah i think one of the things that i'm encouraged by you know overall and really this is beginning in early 2020 when the pandemic was first you know in our in our public awareness and we began the shutdown one of the things that we 
began focusing on and helping our local jurisdiction clerks with is recruitment of election workers, thinking, you know, in reality, at that point when we knew so little about COVID, realizing that we have a group of election officials, election workers at the precincts who are sort of in that risk at risk demographic, right? I mean, when you think about um, having so many people coming in and holding an in-person election during a pandemic, that was one of the big challenges that we had. And so we set to work um, and recruitment efforts, certainly statewide, Secretary of State's office was a, a major player in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always say, like, we got a lot of calls uh, that year <laughs> in our <laughs> office about all kinds of things. One of the number one phone calls that we got was, how can I help? And it was an amazing thing to be able to see the community come together. And I think this was happening across the country. This is not an exception in our community, but what a beautiful thing it is to see people uh, really realize that there's a need and step up to that challenge. And I think to this day, you know, what we actually saw in 2020 was a lot of those workers that we were assuming may not be at the precinct. They decided to to keep going. They decided to be there and, and be involved. Mm. Uh, and we also brought in a whole new workforce of folks who are engaged, want to, to participate in this process. And we've really seen that continue. So I think that is a real positive uh, in the aspect of, you know, people want to be engaged across the board. Um, and Michigan has a bipartisan process for um, serving as an election worker. There's so many elements of our process that are considered bipartisan. You have to have the two major political parties represented. Um, and that's a really important piece of this. And I think that continues as well. I think on the concern side, you know, we we want to make sure that every single voter feels safe and feels confident and comfortable, confident in the process and the integrity of the election, you know, safe in going to the precinct, safe in being able to cast a ballot by mail or dropping it off at their local clerk's office absentee. You know, and, and I think those are our real focal points. Uh, we've gone through uh, a number of um, you know emergency preparedness planning exercises here at the local level uh, with our local jurisdiction clerks and just kind of being aware of the potential uh, for disruption, right? Be- making sure that our clerks and our election workers um, have thought that through a little bit. What do we do in the event that there is some sort of disruption, or maybe it's simply, you know, engaging with somebody who is frustrated mm-hmm. at the polling booths, mm-hmm. right? They they come in and they kind of maybe make a, an off remark about how they don't or do trust the system. And, you know, and it causes our election workers to have to engage at some level. And we want to make sure that we're providing great customer service for our voters, but also allowing our election workers to do the fundamental work, which is actually processing voters and not having those in-depth conversations. So we're trying to give people some tools to kind of de-escalate those situations. And I think that's an important piece. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lisa, what's on your mind as we get closer to November 8th in in terms of overall election security and uh, overall confidence that that things will go smoothly? Well, as Justin said, we have so many um, steps already in our process um, that are in the law. Right. So it's not just it's having one Democrat and one Republican sitting next to each other, adjudicating ballots, um, duplicating ballots. It's printing zero reports from the equipment um, to ensure that, you know, there's no ballots that have been put in before the polls have been open um, to the public. It's the public accuracy test. We're having ours October 27th um, in the morning that anyone can come and watch us test the equipment that we'll be using the counting uh, to be count the uh, absentee ballots for 18 of our communities. Um, our elections are secure. And quite frankly, you know, if you read the news, and Stephen, I don't have to tell you, but, you know, people get caught. It, mm-hmm. It's not that things don't happen, but but they do get caught. And, um, you know, I've seen videos, I've heard, you know, read the stories of, you know, the rogue person who is encouraging others to do something unethical or illegal in a precinct. Um and I hope that, you know, the people who hear that message know, don't, you know, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to be arrested. Um, the one thing that we did different this year is that we shared a list of um, misdemeanors and felonies um, that ha- that occur on Election Day or that, you know, could, 
uh, occur on election day, like disrupting an election, right? Doing something in a precinct, unplugging a tabulator. Mm -hmm. Um, And we share that with our local clerks and our law enforcement so that our law enforcement knows like, okay, you think it's just unplugging, you know, know, uh, something out of the wall. Maybe you shrug and say, that's not a big deal. It's actually a felony. So we want them to know that it is serious and it will be treated seriously. Yeah. I'm talking with Lisa Brown, who is the clerk of Oakland County, and Justin Roebuck, who is the clerk of Ottawa County. We are talking about what's going to happen in just a few weeks here in Michigan, November 8th. We'll go to the polls and make choices in local and state and uh, congressional races. Uh, We're talking about how clerks are preparing for Uh, these elections, how different that preparation looks than it did just a few years ago, given the disruptions of the pandemic and, of course, the attacks that have taken place on our democracy. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Uh, How concerned are you about what will happen on Election Day? Are you someone who's been a poll worker or who wants to volunteer as a poll worker the day of the election? Uh, Tell us what that experience has been like. Tell us what you're looking forward to uh, on November 8th, if you're planning to do it this time. Uh, What kind of things are on your mind? What are you excited about as we get closer to Election Day? Uh, why are uh, why are you maybe worried about what will happen uh, on election day? And are you concerned about the voting process uh, and the way that uh, we make sure that all votes count here in the state of Michigan? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and. We can include you in the conversation that way. I'm going to say again that we really would love to hear from folks who work on, uh, who work at the polls on election day. Uh, tell us what those experiences are like. I think that's one of the more up close uh, uh, witnessing. Uh, activities you can do uh, in our democracy. Uh, Tell us what goes on in your uh, jurisdiction and how confident you are about uh, election security and the fact that all the ballots get counted. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we can work you into the conversation. Okay, before we get to listeners, uh, Lisa and uh, Justin, I want to I want to talk a little more about the assault uh, that I think has been taking place on on our uh, on our democracy over the last couple of years. So in Macomb County, Genevieve Peters, for instance, was hired to recruit poll workers, but it's also been reported that she was one of the social media influencers who was trying to get January 6th insurrectionists to storm the Capitol. So I I know neither of you is uh, in charge of what goes on in Macomb County, but I I think all clerks are faced with a different set of questions and, and challenges because you do have people who have real doubts about, uh, about the elections process who want to disrupt the elections process who are signing up to be the people who work at the polls or who watch the polls. I, I, I want to give both of you a chance to talk about how you, uh, how you manage that and how you make decisions maybe differently now because you've got to be at least on the lookout uh, for somebody who is trying to inspire mischief and not trying to make uh, voting work, uh, work better. Uh, Lisa, I'll start with you. Um, well, first of all, poll workers are usually hired by the city and township clerks. So um, that, is, that is part of their job. You know, in Michigan, our elections are decentralized. There are certain duties that fall upon the county clerk, and there are some that fall upon the city and township clerks. And, and definitely the precincts fall under the um, city and township clerks. So they usually hire their poll workers. Um, and, you know, they use the same people usually year after year. Um, I will say for us, at, with our combined board, we have hired 300 people, uh, people that a lot of them that have been working for us since we started this in 2020. Um, but I would say to poll workers, if you see something from a coworker that seems inappropriate, then I would call your local clerk. Um, and I would also say something at that moment in time. Um, you know, there was something that happened in Kent County with a poll worker. I think that, you know, um, 
whether you're a voter or or um, a poll worker, if you see something, you should be saying something either mm-hmm. to the captain in the precinct or the local clerk. Um, but also know that I think there's some things that um, a voter might see and not understand and think that there's something nefarious going on. And, and what I'm referring to is um, workers coming in and putting ballots in the tabulator, like a bunch of ballots, mm-hmm. right? And so we have a few communities in Oakland County that do not have an absentee voter counting board. They take all their absentee ballots to the precinct to be tabulated. So if I just walked in and saw like two people standing there and they're just putting a bunch of ballots into the tabulator, that doesn't look good, right? If you don't know what they're doing. (laughs) And then for the communities that we tabulate for, they, anything, any absentee ballots that they get after 4 p.m. on Monday, those have to be tabulated in the precincts. So people need to, you know, not just assume um, that if they see something, it's something wrong. I think they need to ask a question and say, like, you know, what's going on here or yeah. who is this? And, and, um, and, and educate yourself because there is a lot to know about elections. Um, Justin and I have both have been doing this for years, and there's still things for us to learn all the time. Um, and things are always changing. But um, I think if you see something, definitely say something. But ask a question. Don't assume that it's something bad. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really great advice, uh, Justin. Uh, what's your thinking on how to protect against what, in some cases, is an overt effort to disrupt by becoming part of the process? Yeah, I I totally agree with with what Lisa um, is saying. You know, and on so many levels, I think. You know, for me and, and folks in my community, when we start the conversation about election integrity, I realize we want the same thing. We all want, as Americans, where what, what our political background is, to trust our process. We want integrity in the process. We want it to be secure, both physically secure and secure from, you know, outside influences or, or whatever. So I think the vast majority of people who want to get involved, um, you know, from this side of things, they are skeptical and they're concerned. And I've had so many conversations over the years where I've told people who have questions and who are skeptics, you should volunteer. You really should. You should step up and and be a part of this process. If you're concerned about chain of custody on ballots, for example, how about you be one of those people that signs off on the seal mm-hmm. of the ballot container, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are ways, healthy ways for us as citizens in our, in our dem- dem- democratic process that we, that we are involved in, right. To be a part of it rather than just be skeptics. This doesn't belong to me. This is not my process as an election official. This is all of our process. So I think the vast majority of our citizens we all do want that. I think there is a small minority that is potentially prepared to disrupt a process, and we have to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to say, um, you know, here is what we do. We follow a chain of command in the precinct. We follow the law. And just as Lisa was saying, you know, it's really important um, to have those relationships with law enforcement and for our election workers to know what their rights, responsibilities are in regard to that. Um but I do agree, too, that when you get put in a position where you're sitting down in a bipartisan group of folks and there's a lot of eyes on on all of us, you know, yeah. no, no one does anything in a vacuum in a precinct or a counting board on Election Day. It's sort of this this um, effect of tampering down the strong emotions because you're all together in the room and you're all watching one another and you're all holding another one another accountable. Yeah. Um, and so by and large, I think it's a really great thing that people who have questions and concerns are a part of this because it belongs to them too. And we need to recognize that while we also prepare for people who may be disruptive and that obviously is a problem and we would address that. It's a a great check on the process. Okay. We're going to, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about election day and the process of getting to election day and getting through it. Uh, We'll get to you uh, on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit today.
about Election Day. It's just a few weeks away here in Michigan, and we are talking with two county clerks about how they are preparing for all the voting that will take place and all the voting that really has already started. Uh, so many people in Michigan now vote before Election Day because uh, we have no reason absentee voting. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Our guests are Lisa Brown, who is the clerk of Oakland County, and Justin Roebuck, who is the clerk of Ottawa County. And again, we're talking about all the preparations that are taking place to get ready for Election Day, to make sure it goes smoothly, to make sure that uh, elections are safe and that uh, that votes get counted uh, the way that they should. Every vote should count. Uh, as always, we want to hear from you about what you're thinking about as we get closer to Election Day. We want to hear if you're somebody who works on Election Day at the polls. Uh, what that, What is that experience been like? Uh, what do you get out of uh, helping other citizens uh, cast their votes here in Michigan? Uh, are you worried about the attacks that we've seen on our democracy and the suggestion that our elections are somehow compromised. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what are you thinking about as we get closer uh, to this election day, uh, in terms of how all of those kinds of tensions might play out? As always, the number here on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can make sure to include your comments. That way, uh, Dave on Twitter says, I'm very thankful to be able to vote from home. Like most voters, I'm really familiar with candidates for governor, secretary of state and attorney general, but I'm not as familiar with the rest. I'm grateful to have the time to research who I am voting for. Uh, Sam on Twitter says, uh, thank you to Michigan Oakland Clark and Justin Roebuck, uh, so Lisa Brown and Justin Roebuck, for explaining to people the checks, balances, and secure processes that are built into our elections. Election deniers' questions and accusations could be easily resolved if they understood the process. Geneva on Twitter says, oh my God, the nonpartisan judges section. <laughs> Come on. Uh, the Oakland County Community uh, College Board of Trustees, why make it so hard? To find info, I only found out one was anti-union by going to their Facebook page. Uh, Geneva's right. Uh, as as media continues to struggle, uh, and we get uh, lots less information out there than we used to, it is harder to find info about uh, elections. WDT is a great source, however, and of course uh, the daily newspapers and uh, the the. the Network television stations all have some info up, and and uh, we all try to get to as much as we can to make sure that you know what you're doing when you walk into the voting booth. Okay, let's go to the phones. Martin in Dearborn, you're up first. What's on your mind? Hey, Stephen. Hey, Martin. Can you hear me? I sure can. I sure can. Hey, I just wanted to share my experience in the presidential election. Um, I worked as a poll worker. Um, in a what turned out to be a conservative Republican poll region in Dearborn Heights, and it was um, it was really gratifying to see the steps that that are in place to ensure that the election has integrity. Um, people working it were over the top and helpful, making sure that they were able to answer questions and resolve any kind of issues that came up. And, Frankly, I think anyone that has a question about the election, they they need to work one of the one of the elections at the poll itself yeah. at the precinct. It's the best way. Yeah, Martin, I'm I'm really I'm really glad you called and and shared that experience because again, when you sit there, I think and and are part of the process, it probably looks a little different than it does to those of us who are who are not working the polls. But but also uh, your your assertion that um, that things are very tightly handled uh, during during uh, elections that that really matters because again there are lots of people who are concerned and who feel like they're not well handled and feel like there are all kinds of shenanigans that that can go on and do go on 
while we're voting. So it matters that uh, that you're there and that you can uh, you know testify to the fact that uh, that's not what you saw. That was not. Uh, your experience. So I really appreciate the call. Let's go next to Karen in Macomb. Karen, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, Great. Um, So this is really disturbing. I was talking to a friend last night and I was completely unaware of this, uh, but the new Macomb County clerk hired an election denier to train those um, that will be working the elections and counting the ballots, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and, we, we were know, talking about that a little earlier, too. Uh, I mean, it's it's disturbing that, that you've got somebody with that kind of record who is now going to be trying to teach other people how to how to work the polls. Uh, and the clerk of Macomb County, Anthony Ferlini, has, has addressed that. He says, look, he did not make the hire, and he's also said that uh, this was part of that person's past. He didn't want to hold it against him. But, Karen, I'm with you. I, 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 don't, I don't draw a lot of confidence uh, uh, from that. But, but here's the question, Karen. Does that inspire you maybe to go become a poll worker, to, to be part of the process to ensure that uh, what you're concerned about doesn't happen? Well, the scary thing is, is that I'm in a high risk category. I mean, if it weren't for the pandemic, oh, yeah, Yeah. I would definitely be out there. But I have to take extra precautions to keep myself safe. And, you know, even with the boosters and the, you know, new variant being so highly transmissible, it's, it's really discouraging because, yeah, I would love to make sure that, you know, that can be monitored where it is fair. Um, So what we're doing is we are just talking to anybody and everything, encouraging them to vote early. And um, a lot of people are taking advantage of voting absentee. So we are just pushing hard and heavy, please vote early, vote early, vote early so that (laughs) we can stave this off. And I apologize. I tuned into the show late, so I didn't hear the conversation earlier. But no worries. It's frightening, you know, that this is the, you know, world we live in. And Macomb County, um, I met Governor Whitmer over the weekend. There was um, a campaign event, and she's dead to the nails, right? Um, Macomb County is a huge battleground, and um, she is just a very lovely person. Mm. Her compassion is just amazing. Mm. She is so down to the earth. And, you know, we need to keep her as our governor because mm. her opponent, I'm sorry, she's nothing more than a Stepford well, wife. <laughs> well, well, Karen, I, I appreciate that take as well. Uh, it's not really what we're talking about, but but I, I appreciate that everybody has uh, strong opinions, I think, about uh, the gubernatorial race. I really do appreciate the call and, and the perspective, though. Uh, Lisa and Justin, I want to get your reactions to what we are hearing from callers, both about uh, the the integrity of elections that they see at the, at the polls, and then this question, again, about people uh, who who probably intend mischief uh, trying to to be part of the process. Justin, I'll start with you this time. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm just thinking about a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with one of our election workers who's um, probably in her in her mid 70s. And she she's worked for a number of years. And I've have a relationship with her because we do the training at Ottawa County and a lot of our communities. And so I've I've sat with her in training rooms for probably 10 years now. And she was just telling me about the excitement at their precinct uh, last August 2 in the primary when they got a, a couple of 18 year olds who were voting for the first time in the precinct. And, you know, they all did a cheer and they wanted like they they took a selfie with the election workers and the whole precinct was just kind of excited for these new voters who kind of come into the system as first experience. And there's so many things like that that happen uh, on Election Day. And and I think that 
you know, we lose sight sometimes in this environment we're in. And you're so right, right? That everyone has strong opinions about political candidates and and that's a good and a healthy thing too, right? That that shows that our democracy is working. Um, but I also think that you know, we can't forget the, the good and the positive and the things that are coming out of this. So while we prepare for potential danger, we also have to recognize what a beautiful thing it is, you know, and in-person voting is great. I, I, you know, recognize there's a lot of candidates on the ballot. It's hard to do research. And I love what one of our, you know, one of the listeners, Twitter. it's great to sit down at your kitchen table and vote yeah. Yeah. a ballot out. Um, it's also <laughs> a lot of fun to be in the precinct. I take my kids too. you know, I, I think, uh, that's a great experience for them to see they're, they're not voting. Age, yeah. But. You know, I, I am still wedded to the idea of going on election day to the election site and seeing who's there. There are people I see only, it seems, on election day <laughs> at, the, right. at the polling site. And it also gives me a good sense, I think, of of how heavy turnout might be and, yeah. and how excited people are. But uh, I, I wouldn't miss it either. At least I wonder what your reaction is. Well, I, um, I, I really enjoyed hearing Martin's positive experience as a poll worker. Um, mm-hmm. I, always see, I always say democracy is a team sport. And I mean, it, it, from every level, whether, whether it's a voter, it's an election administrator, a local clerk or county clerk, or somebody who works on election day, um, it makes all, you know, it takes all of us to make it happen. Um, but I, I know somebody had said they, it was hard to find information about some of the candidates and nonpartisan candidates. And I just want to um, suggest the League of Women Voters um, puts out, uh, you know, wonderful information that is nonpartisan. Um, they just, you know, ask every candidate the same question. So you can hear from candidates themselves, like how they stand on the on certain issues. So I, I would um, I always steer people towards uh, the League of Women Voters. Yeah. OK. Uh, quickly, let's get uh, Vera from Dearborn. And Vera, you've got a really important point to make. I want to make sure we include you in the conversation here. Well, actually, uh, similar to what she just said, Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to let people know that had questions that the League of Women Voters put out a nonpartisan guide. You can get it at your local library. That's where I found mine. It had specific for my area as well as a general one. And if you have access to the Internet, you can go to, um, let's see, it's vote411.org. Really great site. Uh, org, yeah. And it'll give you specifics that, like she said, they ask, you know, uh, questions, the same questions to everybody. It, it, it's very informative. It's nonpartisan. It's just very matter of fact. And you can educate yourself and uh, yeah. figure out which choices you want to make. Yeah, no, a really important resource and really important for people to know that there are resources out there. Uh, that have information about uh, all of the races. Okay, Lisa Brown, clerk of Oakland County, and Justin Roebuck, clerk of Ottawa County. It was really great to have both of you here with us, and uh, good luck in the preparation for November 8th and on Election Day. Thank you. Thanks so much. Good to be with you. All right, uh, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to stay close to politics, but pivot to discuss Civility Day at Oakland University coming out next Tuesday, and how we can build better relationships with people with whom we disagree. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The calls for more civil conversations come from lots and lots of quarters these days, and especially here on WDET and Detroit Today, we really pride ourselves on trying to introduce and sustain more honest and civil conversations, even when they are about 
tense or controversial subjects. But civil conversation doesn't necessarily mean just being kind to each other. Rather, when we are promoting this idea, what we're really trying to encourage is a sense of curiosity, openness, and humility, particularly with those with whom we disagree. In my life, I try to practice this all the time with peer journalist and friend Nolan Finley. Now, Nolan and I argue over just about everything. Pick a subject and throw it between the two of us, and you will watch us disagree, sometimes passionately, sometimes bitterly. But he and I have also taken the time to learn a lot about each other's backgrounds, where our ideas come from, and why we believe that our approach is the right one to solving our problems. We have gained an understanding about how we come to the conclusions that we do. And we respect each other. In fact, we like each other kind of a lot. And that appreciation changes the way that we interact. Doesn't mean that we don't argue, doesn't mean that we don't fight, but it opens our minds to different perspectives and gives us pause before we simply try to push our views onto each other or onto others. Look, life is hard and it is certainly complex and we may think we have the answers to all of our problems and sometimes maybe we're right. But more than answers, it's the relationships and our appreciation for others that really allow us to become better individuals and more grounded citizens. Problem solving in a democracy is about understanding. It is not always about agreement. A few years ago, Nolan and I started something called the Civility Project, an effort for us to share the things that we've learned over 15 years of arguing and trying to maintain a relationship with other people to try to figure out better ways to interact with each other. And this year, we have a really big event coming up on Tuesday, October 25th at Oakland University. It is called Civility Day, and it will welcome students and lots of other folks to the university to hear about not just how Nolan and I practice this kind of civility, but how lots of other folks, some elected officials, members of the religious community, community folks, also lean into that space. To talk about this event and what the Civility Project is all about, we've got Nolan here with us. Nolan, uh, welcome back to Detroit today. Morning, Steve. Also with us is David Dulio, who is a professor of political science at Oakland University and is a huge part of Tuesday's event. Uh, he has put a lot of this together in anticipation of what uh, folks at Oakland University will gain from it. Professor Dulio, welcome back to Detroit today. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's start here with Civility Day next week. Uh, Dave, talk about what that is and what people who attend, and anybody really can attend, uh, what people can, can get from it. Absolutely. <clears throat> the Civility Day is about shining a light on not only the Civility Project and the, and the tremendous work that, that you and Nolan are undertaking and have undertaken with uh, with the Civility Project, but but expanding it to um, other examples of uh, what I, what I think of as model behavior and tone, right? When folks disagree, and I think you you use the perfect word for it, respect, right? And what I, what I would add to that is people can disagree. Certainly, we want them to do so in a civil and respectful manner. And and your previous segment was talking about the health of democracy, right? Well, I would submit that democracy is healthy when there are disagreements, but it goes too far when someone with the other opinion is the devil, right? And that doesn't need to be the case. And, and you and Nolan uh, are, are such good examples of how I think we would want anybody who disagrees on policy matters or political matters to uh, to do so, right? To to uh, to disagree, but do do so in a civil and respectful way, and that's going to be what's on display at Civility Day, not only with you and Nolan, 
but with uh, a number of other folks from the community um, that anybody can come and join and be part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So, Nolan, uh, talk about the, I guess, back and forth that we have had for about 15 years uh, between us. Uh, Lots and lots of disagreement, sometimes uh, anger, sometimes bitterness when we actually talk about the things uh, that divide us. But the fact that we have been able to maintain uh, a relationship that allows us to have those kinds of conversations, allows us to really get into it and get after each other, but not believe that the other, uh, as Dave says, is is evil. And that's the key. I don't think um, you and I would ever be accused of having sort of mild-mannered, passionless discussions. We get after it and we get loud and somebody watching us might think, Lord have mercy, those those guys hate each other. I mean, we do get, uh, as you said, sometimes angry, <laughs> often loud. But, you know, the key is that respect and understanding. We, we don't get personal with it, and we don't assign negative qualities to each other, make assumptions about each other uh, because of our disagreements. And, you know, one of the really guiding principles of the civility project is our belief that all good people come to their opinions in the same way. Uh, You know, they take the information available, run it through the filter of their own experiences and personal values, come up with a viewpoint. And if it's different than yours, it doesn't make them evil, and it certainly doesn't make them dangerous. And, you know, we ask people to drop their assumptions, uh, don't make assumptions about people people's personal characteristics based on their political views, uh, take some time to get to know who they are and why they think the things they think. Uh, and, you know, you, you can come up with a more productive discourse, I believe, and we've managed to do that. Yeah. Uh, and Nolan, this looks different today than it did 15 years ago when we yeah. started doing this and and it seems like the world has really uh, started to frown in some ways on this kind of behavior. Talk about why it's so hard right now to do this. What are the things that, I guess, stand in the way of people being able to have, you know, uh, spirited and, and maybe even angry uh, arguments about issues but not let that bleed over into into animosity. Well, there's an expectation, I think, Steve, that we pick sides and that once you've picked the side, uh, you can't cross the line. I mean, we've had that in our own experience where people, you know, are, who our friends who agree with us will say, well, how can you be uh, friends with him? He's so, he's so awful. He's so terrible. He writes and says these horrible things. And, you know, we've, We've got to this point where we do, you know, a lot of factors. I mean, uh, the media environment we live in with cable television and the Internet, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there who and a lot of entities out there who profit from division and profit from anger, profit from keeping people mad at each other. And so, you know, that does fuel this idea that uh, we've got to stay firmly on one side of the divide or the other. And, you know, we can't reach across for anything. And we're not talking, you know, we often say we're not, you know, thinking everybody ought to end up, uh, you know, sitting around a, a campfire together singing happy songs. I mean, we know there's passion and disagreement, and that's okay. Uh, but there also should should be some value in discourse across the the political divide, and we need to see that that value uh, so that we don't come become so comfortable in our views, own views that we never challenge ourselves. Yeah. Uh, uh, Professor Julio, uh, talk about the importance of having this event on a college campus and talk about the things that you hear from young people and see with young people uh, in terms of how challenged they are to, to have more civil relationships, if not uh, civil conversations. Sure. I, I would say several things about that. One, we started the Center for Civic Engagement at Oakland University um, in 2018, and it, it was born out of uh, really two main um, reasons, and, and one of them is civic literacy and the fact that it stinks. 
both on campus and off campus, and which which your prior segment sort of gets at with the 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 workings of elections, right? But the other one was directly related to civility, and it was just this realization that uh, Americans can't talk to each other anymore. So we want to. Well, my goal with the uh, Center for Civic Engagement is to make Oakland University known as a convener of conversations about issues of public importance, but to do so in a way that's civil and respectful, which fits right into uh, the the civility project, which is why we're we're so happy to have you. And I think I, I, you know I've seen that in in classroom discussions, the the la- the the increase in rancor, maybe. Um, so it's it's a number of things. One is to to tone it down. Mm-hmm. and have that respectful civil conversation. But the other one has to do with being on a college campus and, and the vibrancy of being on a college campus where a free exchange of ideas can take place. If you can't do that on a college campus, where can you do it, right? So that, and, and these days there's examples that pop up all the time where that doesn't happen. So at, at, at OU, I'm, I'm delighted to have the support of the administration and faculty colleagues Right, the the administration all the way up to the president and board of trustees, uh, they not only welcome it, but they encourage us to to have those conversations. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dave Dulio and Nolan Finley, great to have both of you here. If you are interested in participating in Civility Day next Tuesday, October twenty fifth at Oakland University, you can go to the OU events calendar and register. We've got about a hundred people already uh, signed up to to come and do that. Uh, so come out and uh, learn a little about uh, building relationships across the political divide. All right, that is going to do it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk with Republican candidate in the 12th congressional race, Stephen Elliott, about why he thinks he can beat Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who will also join us to tell us why she should be reelected. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation.